Hi, I'm Phil Steele, and you're listening to The Monarchist. Hey, Monarch Nation. ODU has wrapped up its season. It went down to Mobile. They came out firing in the first half, but ultimately lose 20 to 27. Old Dominion finishes the season three and nine. We're here to wrap it up and talk about this season, this game, and this offseason. Welcome to the show, Gary and Aaron. How y'all doing? Doing awesome, man. Doing well, Mike. Hope y'all had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, same for you. I had a great Thanksgiving. This game, though, offensively, they we have not seen a, an offense this efficient in weeks since we last played Coastal. We actually had a running game, and we were throwing the ball well in the first half. First half, Blake Watson has, what, 15 carries for 92 yards? I'm not sure what was different with the O-line this week. I know Sal didn't play, and Santana Santana Saunders filled in for him. But I'm not sure that can really be the reason why we ran better. But we did. It seemed like we were getting a little bit more of a push up front in the first half in run blocking, which is something we really haven't seen since the Coastal game. Uh, So getting some room for Blake, letting him see some holes develop, get some uh, runs to the outside as well, really help with that. And then uh, anytime South Alabama kind of adjusted to kind of stop the run, like we've seen from teams in the past, putting seven, eight, nine guys in the box, we were able to get some pretty quick passes to the edges, including getting Blake Watson involved in the receiving game as well, which I thought was that was a a huge plus for us. We saw it a little bit the week before, but really just – Good disciplined offense, good protection up front in the first half. So one thing this game showed me, and I think it should show anyone that if they care about Old Dominion and the future of it, is if we have a run game, the passing game works beautifully and the offense runs smoothly. So if we can get an efficient running game week in and week out, this team can be ultra competitive. This is a South Alabama team who is now 10-2, and two, they lost to UCLA, who was very good this season, by a handful of points. And they're just a few points away from being in the Sun Belt Championship game. This is a very good team that we pretty much led the whole game. Yeah, I think it just is uh, trying to figure out what that actually looks like. Does the run set up the pass? Does the pass set up the run? because we've kind of been all over the place this season, and we know that there's been a ton of injuries. In this case, our first drive, five plays, 75 yards, it was primarily driven by the pass. Blake was heavily involved. I mean, started out with a 36-yard pass. He then ran the ball two times, sucking that defense kind of in, and then Javon Harvey, a nice 26-yard pass for a touchdown. So in this case, we can argue that the pass drove this particular drive, but if you look at the stats, clearly it was a balanced game, and, and at least it, primarily in the first half, the running game really was efficient. I think we threw South Alabama off 
to start this game with Hayden taking off and running down the field as well. Ever since he lost that knee brace in the JMU game, he has looked much more mobile in the pocket. He's been less afraid to tuck it and run and go get a couple, even if it's not for a big play. You know That, that kicked off that first drive. He kept it and ran it for about six yards. It put them on their heels and threw them off a little bit. But just a good balanced mix of running the ball, passing the ball, some big explosive plays down the field, which is something that South Alabama really hadn't given up all season. They've been very, very stout on the defensive side. So it kind of first time since the Coastal game, we've really come out and punched somebody in the mouth from the offensive side of the ball, juiced up the defense and really put us in a good spot there early. Um, We were also not bad on third down this week, which was pretty great to see. Seven to 15, just about the same as South Alabama. They were nine of 17. So pretty comparable. Yards were pretty close to each other. We have 381. They have 398. They ran the ball much better than we did, but we threw the ball much better than they did. Penalties were equal. They had a turnover that we did not have, but they dominated possession with running the ball. Ultimately, we didn't score enough. Second half, we just kept shooting ourselves in the foot. Got to figure out a way to avoid those drive-killing mistakes. The last drive there before halftime, we had a first and goal at the two and couldn't get a touchdown, had to settle for a field goal as time was expiring. I thought that was a really key point in the game where if we get a touchdown there, I think that puts things in a much different perspective for South Alabama coming out of the locker room at halftime. They're probably thinking more pass, less run, which plays into the strengths of our defense. But instead, you know, we could not punch it in there, settle for a field goal, still take the lead into halftime. But I think South Alabama became much more methodical offensively in the second half, limited ODU to just five drives the entire second half. And I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of it was 23 offensive plays the entire second half. I think the silver lining to the end of that first half for me, though, was watching exactly how organized our team was and getting the special teams out there and making that play. And it just looked like they had rehearsed that a lot. Granted, it's the last game of the season, so it's really something you're just carrying on into the next year. But that did show me that a lot of good preparation had gone in. I was quite impressed with that. The old field goal fire drill. You practice that, I think, once a week. That's the first time we've been able to use it this year. They were struggling with some graphics down there on the ESPN broadcast because it said we still had a timeout left, but we did not have a timeout left. So if you're wondering why we weren't calling a timeout and taking another shot, that's why we didn't actually have that timeout. They had a couple graphic issues and some white balance camera stuff too. That was a great play by team nickname. Yes, it was. So, Gary, you mentioned we they were we were limited offensively in the second half with actual drives. We only had the five drives. On top of that, we were limited in running the ball in the second half. We only had three carries for Blake in the second half. Obviously, we had some drives ruined by penalties, and we had a three and out. Not many sustained drives other than the last drive in the game in the second half. But you'd like to see Blake get more than three carries in the second half. Yeah, it felt like we we got behind the sticks a few times with a few penalties and a few few plays on first down that didn't go well. I don't have a problem throwing on first down at all. I think it's a, a good setup for us, especially with historically how we typically run the football. And we also completed a couple of those those 
passes on first down for some big drives. But that, the last drive of the game that we had, I mean, we overcame some adversity on that. We had a couple of penalties, a couple of plays that didn't go our way. And then, of course, the touchdown that got taken off the board that would have tied it. That was pretty brutal. But we still were, were hanging in there and, and had a chance, just couldn't get that last stop to give the offense one more chance to go down the field. So that's is that the chop block touchdown? And then earlier in the game, we had the, the he didn't get his feet in the corner of the end zone, right? That was the other touchdown that was overturned. Yeah, he had stepped out barely and then come back in. That was a weird tip drill that Amarion Granger had. Speaking of Amarion Granger, the freshman receivers this week played very well. We even had a Levi Wentz sighting, really nice catch for 41 yards. Uh, really impressed by the play of Marion Granger and Javon Harvey in this game and Isaiah Page. They all played well. Blake Watson was obviously fantastic, but those three really impressed me. And it gives you some hope for next year of what we're really building here. Is there anything else you want to touch on in this game before we jump there? I imagine Gary has some more thoughts. Yeah, just on the defensive side of the ball, talking about Jason Henderson, I don't know how many injuries he has at this point. It's got to be at least three or four. I was surprised to see him start on Saturday, but he still made a run at that at the record. I believe he had 18 total tackles, six solo, 12 assisted. He's going to finish just short of the record. And no doubt in my mind, if he would have played the entire App State game, he would have, have crushed that record. I know the South Alabama guys in the broadcast were talking about him and just how quickly he gets to the ball, how he's drawn to that contact. I thought he played pretty well. Um, there were several guys that were out there just getting involved. RT had some big tackles. Stevie Williams had some big plays and a quarterback hit. Really just, just looked good on the defensive side of the ball, but we really struggled on third down like we've struggled all year. And sometimes it's the conversions, but sometimes it's third and 17 and we give up 13 yards prompting the offense to say, all right, we're going to go for it. In South Alabama, they were three for three on fourth downs to really extend a lot of those drives, keep the defense on the field and wear us down. That's something that we have to look at and figure out for next year is how do we give up, stop giving up chunk plays on third down and just shooting ourselves in the foot on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, I'd like to add Marcus Haynes. He had two really great plays on the quarterback. One was a sack. One was just a QB hit. But, man, he was playing. He was really putting the pressure on the quarterback in this game. And I'd like to highlight all the seniors and thank them for all that they've done for Old Dominion football. I'm not great with names and can't knock all of them off in one, one cue. But thank you for being Monarchs and helping us build this program. All right, let's move on. I gave you guys some homework. And I asked you guys to do two things for me i don't like homework man well we're trying to do a good show here and actually do homework and prepare so yeah but when you put it in like school terms like that you're supposed to make it fun for us not give us homework all right what do we get maybe more listeners <laughs> all right so the two topics i want you guys to look into and give me your thoughts on first is things that you want to see or changes that need to occur before next season. Second, the antithesis of that, 
With no changes necessary, what are the reasons for optimism going into the 2023 season? I'm going to give the floor first to Aaron so he can talk about things you want to see change this offseason. All right. Things that I want to see change this offseason or going into next year. I think the first thing that I would like to see going into next year is ramping up the usage of the tight end. So we saw this year when Zach got hurt, how much of an impact that made this year and not having as much production at that particular position. So next year, I'd love to see somewhere between 2022 and 2021 season levels. Obviously, last season with Zach, that's a season where it's an outlier potentially. But being that I have something somewhere in between, that would be better. So I think Isaiah Spencer, I think he should be back. He had 18 receptions this year, so he took a step forward. And then we saw some flashes at the end of the season from Levi Wentz. We had a nice reception in this last game. I think it was 47-yard reception. He caught that ball, and he was running with purpose. But I would like us to look to potentially bring in another tight end into the mix who could step in from day one and make an impact. My guess is that's probably the portal. Yeah, and I think for me, for changes, I, I really want to see an offense that fits the talent that we have. I know we run primarily a, a run-based RPO. That's essentially our offense, but we don't really have a quarterback that is great in those RPO keepers. Hayden definitely looked better towards the end of the year, and if that can be a focus and he can improve, fantastic. But it really felt like we just kept bashing our heads into the, the back of the offensive line when we didn't have the right offensive schemes. We weren't looking to see what was the defense giving us and how do we take it, kind of going back to those Heineke days of, limited playbook, keep things simple, take what the defense gives you, take the shots when they're available, rather than just trying to force a philosophy that doesn't necessarily fit the players that you have. On the other side of that, if you can go get the players you need to run that style of offense, then by all means, let's go get that in the portal. But we've had some great hits in the portal and we've had some not so great hits in the portal. And you can't always depend on that to be what saves you, but you can definitely shape everything you want about your offense. How about you, Mike? I wanted to see more pre-snap motion on offense. Pre-snap motion allows you to see what kind of coverage the defense is in. It, you see if they're in a zone or if they're playing man. It's going to help out the quarterback. It's going to help out the lineman. It just seems like something that is easy to do, but we're not doing because of something that Gary highlighted a few episodes where Hayden is waiting for the play call to come in from the sidelines. You could see it clearly in the South Alabama game. He's looking towards the sidelines for the call. He gets it. He makes the call. He looks back to the sidelines for an audible. And then they hike the ball. With a, Use that original play call. Put them in motion. And if they're not moving where you want them to move, let the quarterback call the audible. He should know the offense enough where he can say, oh, we're running here. That's something I would like to see. And I don't think we're taking advantage of it enough, but I'm not a coach. I agree with you completely on that, Mike. I think we need to let the quarterback that we trust go out there and make adjustments and make plays based on what he's seeing. Like, sure, get that initial play call from the sideline, but it really was a problem all year. And I feel like once we finally get the play call in and people in position, there's less than 10 seconds on the play clock. And then you don't have time to make adjustments. You barely have time to do a single check to a backup call or something like that. So I think giving 
the quarterback a little more room to work, a little bit longer leash out there is going to help everybody. Because, yeah, that was that, that killed us in a couple games, especially late in the game when you need to go quickly. If you're looking at the sideline for 25 seconds of the play clock, there's nothing your quarterback can do other than run that play despite what he's seen in front of him. And granted, I, if we're playing an injured or a backup for an injury, I understand why you would do that. But Hayden's been the starter for most of last year and now this year. He knows this offense. Let him run the show. It's not like you can get any worse than three and nine. It's not much worse. All right. Now, let's go back to optimism. Before we move on, are there any other changes you would like to see in the future? Aaron? Yeah, I'd like us to look at the running back position. So, obviously, when Blake had opportunity this year, he was very good. But we didn't see a whole lot from Keyshawn Wicks, Obisani, and Tariq Sims. They only carried the ball like 69 times together as a unit the entire season. So... Blake carried it 158. They carried it 69 for a total of 227 times. Hayden had 419 passing attempts, so 419 to 227. Last year, we threw the ball roughly the same, 420 passing attempts, but we rushed the ball 380 times. So Blake's likely gone, and we really didn't get an opportunity to see what we had in Wicks, Sonny, and Sims. I'd like to know what you guys think about that right there with kind of well, the you can't run the ball if you're always down and in the second half. And we saw it throughout the season. We had to abandon the run. And this game is another example. We weren't down in this game, but we abandoned the run in the second half. Exactly my point. However, most of the season, we were down at the halftime and we we're trying to come back. Weren't we last year as well? Not in the second half of the season. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we had a lot of comebacks. We had a much better offense. or We had a more successful offense last year. So we threw the ball almost identical amount of times, 420 and 421. But if you look at those first six games, we weren't throwing the ball that much at all. We were running. We were pretty much a running team. How many throws was Matt getting before he handed the keys over to Wolf? 167. For half the season. Yeah. Right, so that's below the average of the 200. So we obviously ramped up the passing once Wolf took over. So did we ramp it down this year? So in totality, we passed the ball the same amount both seasons. We had a lot less plays. Right. Right? So we had a less successful offense. My point of the whole thing is, is I'm not sure we know what we have in our running back room with Blake leaving. And that's really my question to you guys is you're smarter at analyzing the game than I am. And do we have a lot of work in bringing some new guys into the room or are we feeling pretty good? Maybe you want to save that for reasons for optimism. All right. So if I'm looking at different position groups, I think there's value bringing in veteran players at multiple positions. And one of them would be running back. You want someone who can, be the mature guy in the room who's been there before because Sims, Obi, they're all t- Wicks, they're all talented and they all have something to bring to this team. But you need that mature guy in the group that can maybe say, hey, when I've been in this situation, this is what I've done. Something that I can bounce ideas off of and learn from 
And I think that would be a valuable thing to do. I would say the same thing about the receiving core because this young receiving core is very exciting to me and I'm very stoked about the future of it. However, that veteran receiver who's seen it all at the P5 level or maybe even the FCS level, wherever they were, they can come in and help these guys and help them learn. Um, whether it's in watching film or in, on the practice field or during games, you want that louder voice in the room to help guide them. That isn't a coach. That's someone that can talk to them on their level without sounding like a coach. And I think you're going to be targeting a lot of running backs, both in the portal and in recruiting, just from a pure depth perspective. I mean, Geiger is gone. Watson's gone. We don't know what La La status is. We haven't seen John Luke Peeker dressed out in a while. So you really have three running backs active on the roster right now. And you're one injury, one misstep away from not only having two on the entire roster. So yeah, it's got to be a focus. And and Mike, definitely, I think a grad transfer running back there would be fantastic. But to, to Aaron's original point, we did not get to see much of what we had behind Blake. Keyshawn Wick showed some great signs and flashes of being kind of that power runner. I think Obisani showed some good speed, but they just didn't get enough carries. There were games when we were down, sure, we had to throw. And then there were games like South Alabama where we just completely went away from the run in the second half, despite having the lead going into the second half. It may be a tough sell to get somebody in the portal unless they're going to be like, hey, you're going to get half of Blake's carries from last year. Before we move on to this second question, Gary, do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, I think I'm good. Aaron, is there a third change you'd like to see? Well, no, I don't want to get scolded. No, if you have it, let's hear it. Well, this might be a good segue into reason for optimism, but I really do think that we need to see some stability from our coaching staff. I think more specifically, the OC. Obviously, we had Campbell, and then we had Patnod, but really didn't and then Reiner came in just a few weeks you know before the season started so Hayden's had a lot of a lot of movement in that so I just think that some stability there going forward will be very helpful even if Kevin's not the OC if he goes back to just coaching the line we just need to have something there that the team can just build off of if you think about it, the next OC that we have will be the fifth, the fifth that Wolf has played under. That is, I remember they would always talk about that with Jason Campbell. Yeah. He had it at Auburn and then he had it with the Redskins. That is a lot. Uh, it's continuity helps and it breeds success, but he's going to have a fifth OC. I, it's hard to see. Maybe Reiner applies for it and he gets it. Who knows? I'm not sure if he's considered an interim, if that tag ever got taken off, but I imagine that job gets opened up. Hopefully Kevin stays. He's a great O-line coach. He's done a great job recruiting. He got a lot out of a group that had mixed match pieces this year. And the group he took over and he's built these last couple of years, I'd like to see him stay as an O-line coach because he's doing a great job there. Offensive coordinator, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he was kind of pressured into that job and kind of put in a bad spot. But I don't know. It's a tough, it's a tough position. Yeah, I don't think anybody had uh, you 
know, a great wasn't a great situation for anyone. It wasn't a great situation for Ricky. It wasn't a great situation for Kevin. I think it was just tough all the way around. They tried to make the best of a inopportune timing thing, and it didn't work out optimally. There's no other way to really put it, but he's a great coach, and I really, really hope that we still have him next year. Yeah, it was a tough situation. Then you lose Zach Kuntz early in the season. You lose Ali Jennings. Not much more could have gone wrong on the offensive side of the ball that was outside of his control, but I agree with you. I'd love to to keep him on staff. I, I think we'll have more continuity there just because I don't think there's going to be a Penn State coordinator getting hired to an in-state school again this season. We'll see. That definitely hurt us because they knew all the same people and the, they were getting promotions to go up to Virginia Tech. But hopefully we have some more continuity. But you know, I don't envy Coach Ronnie going into this offseason with some of the difficult choices he's going to have to make. And he's proven that he's going to hold his assistants to a high standard. Kirk Campbell, I don't think, did a terrible job last year, but it wasn't cutting the mustard. So he was gone and we brought someone else in that situation unfolded there and, and kind of got handed over at the last minute, but I'm, I'm with you and hoping for some more continuity this off season with the assistants. All right. So time for optimism because we are the monarchists and we love looking on the brighter side of things. So what are your reasons for optimism? I'm going to give Gary the floor first since Aaron had it first last. My biggest reason for optimism is I think there are things that are easily fixable in the offseason on the offensive side of the ball for us, mainly in the running game. I, I know that we can run the football. I, I think if we work with the offensive line and some of the younger guys who are going to be coming up through the ranks at those positions, some new people coming in at running back and maybe a, a better dedication to what we want to do in the running game that can be fixable. And you've seen with Coastal, you've seen with South Alabama, when we can successfully run the football, our offense can go. We have the other weapons. We'll be adding more weapons to it. That's a very, very fixable thing. And then on the defensive side of the ball, we just need to plug and play. Like We're going to lose some talent from the defensive side of the ball for sure, but I think that infrastructure is there, that system is there. We just need to continue to improve and replace talent. So that gives me some optimism, but really the Fixing the run game has to be the biggest priority for this offense in the offseason because when we run, we can throw and we can win games. I agree. I think this running game has a lot of potential. And, I mean, I've said earlier in this episode, when the running game is working, this offense works. There's no reason for a total overhaul if we can just fix the running game. Aaron, what is your reasons for optimism moving into the offseason? My number one reason for optimism is Hayden Wolf. Though he showed significant progression with while missing his two biggest weapons for a big chunk of this season with major offensive line injuries. His completion percentage dipped a little bit. It went from about 63% to 57, but his touchdown interception ratio improved significantly. And last year he was 10, 10 touchdowns to seven interceptions. This year he's 18 to six. He also showed us glimpses of an ability to run the ball a little bit occasionally when the opportunity presented itself. Let's not kid ourselves. He's not going to be RG3, but can he move enough to run this offense effectively? I think he can. If he can make incremental improvements from this offseason to next year, from what he did last to this, I think it makes a significant impact. So 
he threw the ball a bunch more, but he was sacked a ton this year. Hayden was sacked. I don't know if you guys looked at the numbers, but he was sacked 34 times this year. And I think a lot of that is because we had so many moving parts, so many injuries, so much inconsistency there. And Gary's talking about these, we've got young talent, another offseason, another opportunity to improve here this offseason. I really do think that our offense can take a step forward it really just goes back to the running back stuff that you guys were talking about. That is a very important key here. I do think Hayden can play better. I think he knows that. Some of those sacks were coverage sacks, guys not getting open, some were on the line, some were him holding the football too long, missing reads. So he definitely has room for improvement there. I think we know that there's going to be some additional quarterbacks that are going to be brought into this team in the offseason. I know we have at least one with the 2023 commit that's going to come in. We'll see what we have from the other guys on the roster. Having someone competing for the starting job with him is going to be really, really important. I don't think he really had that a lot this season between injuries and some other movement. I, I think he knows the system. I think he's a good leader. He's might be, I think, the longest tenured monarch here coming up pretty soon. So yeah, lot, lots of lots of like there, but I think it all goes back to like you were saying, the the running game and having that be consistent. All right. My reason for optimism. We've been one of the youngest teams in college football the last two years. That means next year we make that move towards not being one of the youngest, but being one of the most veteran teams. The defensive line that we've been raving about all season, all those guys are young, and they're mostly going to all be back. This receiving core that is growing game by game. Javon Harvey stepped into that number one role pretty damn well. Ollie Jennings has huge shoes to fill, and I think Javon Harvey did a great job in those last couple of games filling them. Um, there's a lot to like about the youth of this team. There's some holes that we're going to have to plug in and fix with a lot of these seniors that are graduating and these pr- guys going pro, guys like Sal, Koontz, and Ollie. But there's a lot to like about the youth on this team and the future in this program. The average age of our staff is 33 years old as well, by the way, which I think is the second or the third youngest in the country. So this is coaches learning on the job that they're just going to get better. They're learning they're from their own mistakes, and they're going to get better moving forward. We also get another season of Jason Henderson. Isn't that going to be a lot of fun to watch? Hell yeah. All right. So does anyone else have any other reasons for optimism? All right, Aaron, you have more reasons for optimism. Because I'm so optimistic, just optimistic by nature. Look, this is not a sexy position to spend time on, but our kicking game is strong, man. Team Ethan is like beast mode. I mean, Ethan Dwayne was amazing this year, and Ethan Sanchez is a fresh freshman, I think had a really solid year, and I think we've got a lot to look forward from that position. I think the only question is you know kickoffs Dominic Seuss I think he's probably graduating I don't know if Ethan Sanchez will take over those duties or if we'll bring somebody else in to take that but overall special teams wise the kicking game is strong you know, Lamarion back to return those and um, I think we don't have to worry about that part of the game and worry about bringing anybody in you forget how important it is until it gets screwed up which we saw a lot in from games this weekend so 
yeah, I, I agree with you there. I didn't want to leave him out, but B.R. Hatcher should be back too. And keeping that whole unit intact, long snapping, place kicking, our whole crew's back. So that's definitely reason for me to be optimistic. Yeah, I like it. It definitely takes a lot of issues that some teams might be worrying about next year completely out of the equation. We don't have to worry about it. Just plug and play with those guys. They're going to do their job. And we're going to be successful there. So we can focus on these other issues that we have to fill. All right. Gary, do you have any other reasons for optimism you'd like to share? I think just the age of the transfer portal in and of itself. Uh, you know, I look at South Alabama, who we just played on Saturday. They started football the same year that we did. They really hadn't had much success at all until this year. They went and they got some guys in the portal. They developed a couple guys internally, and then all of a sudden they're a 10-win team. So I feel like if we can kind of keep the staff together, keep a core together, that we can get this going next season. I mean, it's going to be tough because we played just another brutal schedule next season, but seeing South Alabama do it in the way that they did it, there's a lot of similarities there just from the defensive side of the ball to just plugging and playing a couple guys on offense out of the portal and that you've developed. So I, I don't think we're as far off from a 10-win season as people might think, but it's tough for me to say that when we're finishing this year 3-9. and nine. You mentioned it earlier, apart from the JMU game, we were in every single game. You had a couple pieces here and there, and maybe they're the difference of winning those games instead of losing them. Also, just another year of development for all these young guys. They're going to figure it out. They're going to get better. They're going to get stronger. I don't know. I, I've seen a lot of really bad hot takes this weekend for obvious reasons. But I think people need to remember where this program was when Ricky took over. And then how much of his work got harder when we had a COVID season where we didn't play football. People need to remember that because that is not an enviable position to be put in by anybody. And Ricky was put into that position, took over a 1-11 football team, then had a COVID season where we lost even more talent to the portal because they didn't want to sit out or they were upset with us sitting out. And... We go bowling last year, and then this year we're competitive pretty much all season long against a very difficult schedule. We weren't quite good enough to be a bowl team, but you saw the ability for this team to turn the corner, and I think we do that next year. So that's my reason for optimism. I'm optimistic because our first game is against Virginia Tech next season. (laughs) (laughs) Get our first win in Blacksburg, right? Oh, yeah, I'm going on the field. I'll be joining you with you. I'll I'll be right there with you if if we win that game. Make Um, sure to bring your big blue lunchbox. (laughs) They already got rid of the lunchbox. They bailed on it pretty quickly. We helped them get rid of the lunchbox. Yeah. All right. So this Tuesday is Giving Tuesday for ODAF. It's a big fundraising day to help this program move forward as a whole. Uh, So if you have the ability to, I highly suggest you give on Tuesday, whether it's $5 or a hundred, it doesn't matter. All of it helps. We are not a rich P5 program that can just spend money 
because we're getting buku TV dollars. So we need fans to get involved and help support the program so we can keep building for the future. Speaking of which, we were talking earlier and we have ideas on how to get more fans involved in fundraising moving forward. So I'm going to let Aaron kick this off with one idea. All right. My first one would be game worn gear. And so in the past, we've seen auctions, online auctions, where the uh, football signed by the coach or a particular experience, there might be 20 different items and people can register on the website and they can go and they can bid in this auction, which is cool. But the problem where I see that, at least coming from our perspective as a, a fan podcast made for the fans by the fans, is it really leaves a lot of your fans out of the opportunity because not every fan can afford to bid $500 or $1,000 for a football signed by Ricky Ronnie. But what they can do is they can buy raffle tickets for this sorts of stuff, whether it's a football or it's a jersey that got torn and can't be worn anymore, or it's Jason Henderson's grizzly helmet where the face mask is all jacked up. And obviously that thing isn't going to be put back in the service. But you have a night in the in the big blue room or wherever, and you have tables set up with these particular items. It costs, I don't know, maybe $20 to get in the door for admission. That money is going to go towards ODAF or wherever it needs to. And then people can buy raffle tickets for these particular items, whatever they're interested in, $5 a raffle ticket. If you want 10 chances at it, you could buy 10 raffle tickets. But the difference between the auction and the raffle idea is everybody has a shot. So now the person that buys 20 is going to have statistically a better chance, but everybody is in the action for all these particular items. I know that would interest me, and I know that would interest a lot of the folks who listen to our show. So that's what I would like to see is a raffle for kind of game-worn or experience-type items. I definitely want one of those busted face masks from Jason Henderson, willing to pay any time for that. I think my idea would be a 50-50 raffle at our sporting events. You see it at minor league baseball, minor league hockey. I know when I go down to Tampa Bay Lightning games, they've got one that's always cooking for each game. I think the same thing for Astros and, and any other sporting event that I go to. Usually it's being donated to a nonprofit. I think using that 50-50 raffle to help support individual sports programs is just an easy slam dunk way to get money in the door, get people involved. The obvious ones, right? Baseball, football, basketball games, they're going to have the bigger crowds, but I think you can even do it at some of the smaller venues. If you have the manpower to sell those 50-50 raffles at the gate as people are coming in, let them get a, a chance to, to win some money when they're coming out to a game. It'll drive attendance, also drive some donations. The tough part there is you got to get manpower. You got to have people who are willing to volunteer and do that. I think I would look to ODU students and also just general ODU fans that want to get involved and help these programs. Maybe you can't spend 250 bucks to help the women's soccer team get conference championship rings, but you can go volunteer four hours of your time at one of their games or something next season. I think that would be a, a good and easy way to get more people involved with our different sports programs that are out there and drive up some donations while also to win a little bit of cash as well. I love both of those ideas, but my idea might be the simplest to implement of all of these right now. We have two teams fundraising for rinks to award their championship seasons. We have field hockey and soccer. 
I highly suggest if you can, again, if you can give and you can afford to, please pitch in. These girls deserve a ring for their championships. However, I think we need to think of some a different way of raising money for this. Instead of having to do it last minute, we can build a war chest for rings ahead of time, and it wouldn't take a lot of money from each donor. So my idea is this. When you renew each year, they'll give you the opportunity to say, would you like to donate an additional amount of money that goes specifically to the ring campaign? Whether it's $25 or $50, I would suggest $50 because it's a nice round amount and it adds up quickly. If we can get half of our 2,000 donors to give $50, we'll have $50,000 a year to go towards the ring fund. So these teams aren't asking aren't running GoFundMe's just for the rings. These players deserve it. I think having a ring fund just moving forward would be a positive for all of these sports. So when they do go for, if soccer wants to do some fundraising, they don't also have to do this, the ring fundraiser on top of another one. Um, we're making their job harder to raise money by not having a war chest for rings. So let's build one. And I think this is a very simple solution to that. Definitely, Mike. That's a very forward-looking, proactive way to do it. We expect a certain amount of conference championships. You hear Wood talk about it. You hear what these expectations are for these different teams. So if we have expectations for our student-athletes to win conference championships every so many years, then we should be ready for that. We can be ready for it by having a proactive idea like this rather than be reactive. And once they have one, then we're scrambling to raise the funds. So I really like that idea a lot. Yeah. Really like all three ideas. Really like the idea of that ring fund. Cause that's a pretty easy one. Just check the box, throw another 50 in there. You're good to go. But to just promote it again, women's soccer has their ring campaign going on now. It's on all of their social media. You can go donate. The cost of a ring is 250, but feel free to donate five, 10 bucks, whatever you have. And then field hockey, also has a campaign going right now on their social media is trying to raise 15,000 for locker room improvements, upgrades to their audio and video on their field, and I believe some mental health counseling services as well. Two great campaigns going on right now, both for, for women's soccer and for field hockey. Giving Tuesday, this Tuesday, give if you can. Uh, join us. What day, what day of the week is that, Mike? That's Tuesday, the 29th. So please join us in donating to Old Dominion and helping us build this program for the future. We would love to hear your ideas on what you think would be great fundraising ideas for ODAF. Let's hear them. We will, if, if they're good, if they're bad, we'll read them all. Just submit them. You can submit them on Twitter by sending us just an at. On Facebook, you can just post it on our wall. And same thing on Instagram. Or you can email us. It's odumonarchist at gmail.com. Send us those emails. Send us those tweets. We'd love to hear your ideas on how we can improve ODAF's fundraising in the future to make it better for everybody. Because one thing I'd like to see more of is more young alums and middle-class folks donating and making it a goal to raise more money for this school that we all love so much. Thank you for listening, and go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.